0: Jeff Chang, Bao Win, and Kimmy Kim, again. Ahead, and to lead our discussion, Jane Kim. How is everyone doing tonight? And can we just give another round of applause to this amazing team? So Jeff Kimmy, Bao. um, So I'm gonna start off this discussion, ask a couple of questions, and then I think we'll have a few, uh, we'll have time for some Q&A from the audience. So um, I thought I would just start from the beginning. So this um, started with a book, that Jeff wrote. And so can you talk a little bit about how this came together and how it moved from a book to this medium? And you know, one of the things I thought about, because um, I got to watch this a little earlier, um, was in many ways, um, so we're, we're hoping that this will get extended. But when you decided to do this, you had these four episodes that you could pick, right? And so it had to be a complete whole. Yet you also wanted people to want more. So how did you pick these four issues, and what was that process like, moving from the book to um to film? <laughs>
1: I'll I'll start with talking about um how, just the initial, uh, just adapting it from the um, book to first of all I want to say thank you for coming out again on on uh, Sunday night on Mother's Day so. Um, But so Jeff and I met five years ago around about um, for another project uh, with a mutual friend, and um, it's funny because we're still working on that project. That project's not done yet. Um, We got this one done, done, which is great. Uh, And about a year later, Jeff came out with "We Gonna Be Alright" the book, Um, and I I read it. um, Not picturing it or thinking about adapting it. I just read it as a fan of Jess work and as a friend. Um, and when I read it, uh, when I read anything as a filmmaker, as a visual artist, I just kind of conjure up images in my mind, even when I have like very dense and complex subjects, like in Jess's book. and um, But with just book, there's it's so personal. There's such a, in terms of his narrative, even though he's dealing with really um, serious issues, and so um, I kind of read the book, left it there for six months, and then Jeff called me and was like, I have this idea about why don't we make this into a series? And, and uh, it's a bit tough getting funding for a documentary series like these. Um, and we just kind of talked about it, but nothing came of it, and six months later, Uh, I'm randomly in New York, and I get a call from um, Kareem Ahmad, who um, uh, worked at ITVS, and he told me that there was a digital open call for new projects, and he's like, do you know any series ideas? Mm -hmm. And I honestly had totally forgot about the conversation I had with Jeff, (laughs) Uh, and I was like, I don't really have anything, but maybe let me (laughs) think about it. And then once I hung up, I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> Wait. Uh, then I called Jeff. I was like, "Oh, we have a week to like turn in this application for this open call." And I don't know if anyone's ever applied to ITVS, but they're really long applications, and uh, they're kind of tough. But we we were lucky we were lucky enough to be kind of free that week, and we just we just worked it out. And one week <laughs> we made that application. I don't know. We have uh, another person I I want to recognize real quick is. Um, Our series producer from ITVS, Pamela Torno, who's here, and we we could not have done this without her and without the support of ITVS. um, At the same time, oh, we have another Isaiah here, and we just have another special guest for Uh, So I'll quickly finish the story so we can start talking to the real star of this series. Um, And yeah, we got, you know, ITVS loved the idea and we made it happen. Uh, But Jeff can answer about how we kind of figure out which chapters we wanted to make into uh, what you see on the screen. Um, Yeah, so... uh the The
2: book is about resegregation, right? Racial resegregation, and um, the the core of the book revolved around these two essays that were about um, gentrification and displacement, and then about Ferguson. Um, and you know, I, I've known um, Isaiah for, wow, feels like, time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, many many years, and. Um, and seen him grow into a community advocate, um, an amazing artist, and uh, and we didn't know um, about your story actually. Um, we uh, we knew that you were in Kendrick's video, right? oh let's go talk to Isaiah. He was in Kendrick's video, um, and as we talked more and more, uh, we were like, here's here's a story. Here's a really really important story um, to be able to tell, and so that became. Uh, the pilot that that particular story became the pilot and really emotionally grounded us like Isaiah really emotionally grounded us in the mission of what we had to do um, with the series and uh and so we you know we took um probably too long (laughs) for Isaiah to 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 put the pilot together um and then from there we kind of proceeded to try to find a bunch of other stories that would fill out we knew we wanted to do the Hollywood story we didn't we didn't know how we wanted to end it um, and then the Harvard admissions story uh, kind of came up. Uh, there was a bunch of other ideas that we had um, as well, but um, it was really a blessing to be able to work with, um, work with Isaiah and, and more importantly to be able to, um, and actually on this, on this day, on this Mother's Day, to be able to, to, um, um, have to hear and have Isaiah take us through um, his story, so. Want to pass this to to Isaiah though?
0: Well, no, we're going to end with Isaiah. I got a plan. You got to let me moderate. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Robbie. Okay, so I I have four questions, um, and they're each linked to each of the episodes. And I'm going to end with Isaiah's episode, actually, Um, and then we'll open up to the audience. Um, But I. You know, I just wrote some lines that really struck me from each of the episodes. So let's start with Hollywood. Things have gotten better and we are still oppressed. Um, I think we've been thinking a lot about that in this country. We elected our first black president in 2008, something which as a young woman of color, I never thought would happen in my lifetime. As a young person, I didn't think that would ever happen in my lifetime. And then eight years later, well we all know what happened (laughs) and um um as someone who's been an elected official here in san francisco as a woman of color that has been able to run and be on eight ballots and be taken seriously um and to have my grandmother tell me that she was envious of me right because of opportunities she was never able to have that i was able to i think a lot about how far we've come and how far we haven't and as an elected my race and gender was used against me almost every single day, in almost crushing ways, and yet I still had held power that was vested in me by the city and county of San Francisco by our city charter. The same power that had typically only been given to white men with property, right? So that dichotomy that we are constantly living under. So, you know, I was wondering, you know, talk a little bit about about that. I think I really connect
3: with what you just mentioned about the fact that you constantly get challenged. You step to a certain level that you didn't think that you would be, but you still feel very much every day It's a struggle. So I started my career at MTV, and I remember back in when I was the only Asian person on the floor. There was another person, they will constantly confuse our names because they couldn't tell the difference between Kimmy and Chris. So I would get called Chris all the time, and the joke became I would call them all one name. All the other <laughs> guys like, oh, hey Travis, and everybody's a Travis until they get my name right. <laughs> so okay. I, like, if you want to talk to me, you need to get my name right. But then again, now I go back to building, we'll uh, New York uh, HQ. It's very much like this room, but I do know even if that is the case. People like female or minority, we struggle every day. I go into the meeting here, I've been out here for about 15 years now, still going to the meeting, it's wide, driven, creative room. So it's it's very much like a mixed feelings. You feel like I'm doing better, I'm doing you know better for actually young people like you know, Solomon and all of their friends. I feel great about the fact that I'm tr- contributing something but still, you have to go so much more, so many extra miles to get there. So all I'm doing is I like, do my best to get there for myself and people behind me or coming up and also don't get discouraged because it's very depressing every day watching news. It's just, it's overwhelming. Like things that no matter what I do, am I making change? Is, am I making anything better? I think I do, but still it's very difficult to feel it. It isn't what it is at the moment, but I don't want it to be that way. So I feel like every day discouraged, depressed, sometimes really angry, but still, okay, I'm gonna suck it up, I'm gonna do my best. The way that I came this far, I'm not gonna let this one you know, fail or feel more responsible for younger people and myself. So that's how I'm struggling
0: managing my day-to-day. <laughs> and by the way, anyone can answer these questions, including Isaiah, I'm just gonna end with your episode, but you can answer it any time. And, and to go to go to the next step, because we're talking about you know 2020 is next year, we have a big election coming up, right? And we're all aware of that. Um, and so we have to brace ourselves for what if there's another four years of Trump, right? Let's not forget that that might happen, right? So what do we need to invest in our country today in case that happens, but also, what happens if he doesn't win? Do we all go back, right? Do we stop caring? Like didn't, didn't we just win one of the most diverse representation in, in the house because Trump was president? So what happens if he doesn't win, right? And a Democrat does win.
4: Um, I think that something that my mom told me I remember way back when, like, we were talking about, like, world wars, and I was like, what if World War Three comes, and what if this happening, and she was like, look, baby, all of that stuff is going to happen. What you need to do is focus on you, and make sure you get through life positively, mm-hmm. and what I would say is whether Trump gets elected, reelected, or somebody else gets elected, the president." Of the country, while it matters in terms of like representation, getting things done, what we need to be investing in is ourselves because we make a better America, not president. So.
0: Which um, brings me to another line in that, in that, um, in that episode, which is that presence doesn't equal power, right? Um, so going to the the last episode, um, that episode made me think of. Um, a poster that um, is at Stanford's Native American house at Mwakma, um, where Jeff used to teach. And it's a, it's a poster of a flag, of the American flag. And I remember when I saw it, it really struck me to see an American flag in the Native American house at Stanford. Um, but underneath it, it said, make something of it. Mm. And I thought a lot about that, listening to to the folks that you interviewed. And so, you know, Talk a little bit about you know that episode and what that you know what we are making like this is our country this is America this is what America looks like all the in betweens.
1: So um, with episode four, I think a lot of people can relate to the idea of being in between, and it wasn't until I read Jeff's book really that I kind of understood what that meant more in terms of my own experience. I mean, my parents uh, came over to America in 1979 uh, as boat people. Uh, I was born a few years after, and um, it's always been kind of a a struggle to figure out, to navigate who I was, if I was American or if I was Vietnamese. And, And it's funny, I actually live in Vietnam now and when I'm in Vietnam, I feel very American. But in America, I feel very Vietnamese and Asian. Uh, so I'm kind of navigating that. And But I do have to, as as Jeff was, and what he wrote in his letter to his, his son, it's just like, you know, we have to kind of understand as being in between that we have a certain level of privilege of being able to see things from a, a perspective that is not black or white. and it's it's how you kind of practice that and be aware of that privilege and try to and also as Isaiah said just you can only kind of work on yourself sometimes and if you can make that a daily practice and 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 try to be kind be compassionate build community then that's how I see that's what I got out of actually the whole series uh, from Jeff's writings and meeting Isaiah and to the, to the fourth episode as well. It's just like, if we can remember that we're we're kind of in this together, no matter what we look like, where we come from, then maybe we're gonna be all right. Maybe, just maybe.
2: Um, the last episode was, um, it, obviously it was very personal um, and, uh, my family's here in the house, my brother's here in the house. And, um, you know, the, the episode, it didn't really write itself. It was one of those things where I, the, I, my writing actually broke down. And, um, and, and so Bao, like, just sort of, I just sort of surrendered to Bao, and, and Bao kind of led us through the process. Like, just write, write as if you're writing to your kids. And um, and we're gonna you know shoot this and I you know we had the ideas of, of speaking with Raphael and with and, and with Linda to be able to talk about the aesthetics and the ethics of what it is that they do um, and 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 Bao just kind of brought it all together um, in this really beautiful kind of a way but the you know the 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 series is sort of undergirded by and this this sort of sense of loss um and and so you know big things happened to to us during during this project personal things that that um you know that deeply affected us and you know i, I kept on coming back to this james baldwin quote that gave gave me a lot of substance uh sustenance um in in all of the stuff that we were Kind of going through, which is that, you know, it, 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 He writes this letter, and the students who have suffered through my classes know what I'm about to say. But it's sort of this. It's this this uh, quote about, uh, and and Baldwin is giving a speech about the the role of the artist in society, and what he says is is that pain is only important in so far as it allows you to understand other people's pain, and that your job as an artist is to be able to connect that and to be able to allow that process to transform, help to transform and release the other person from pain and maybe in the process, you will as well be released from your pain. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of, that was sort of what kind of undergirded this this entire process Um, and so the, the last episode becomes kind of this, and I'm getting all mystical and shit. So please stop me, right? <laughs> But like, but but <laughs> the 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 sort of the, the sort of idea is is that we find uh, we find healing and freedom through each other, yep. um, and so you know it begins with pain. It begins with um, you know uh, that, and then it turns into an offering. Isaiah. Sings a song, you know, or, you know, Bao puts together images, or, I put words together, which are completely disjointed, and Bao makes makes sense makes sense of it, um, and then Kimmy makes sure that it all gets to Pam, um, but that's sort of that's sort of kind of how we we uh, we kind of move through that, through that that whole process, and at the end, it ended up being much much greater than the sum of its parts.
0: I, you guys really try to tackle a lot. In these four episodes, I mean, what I was really struck yeah. <laughs> was struck by the ambition um, which you took on, and you know, the final episode—it's about you know how America is so binary, but there's obviously so much in between that is what this country <clears throat> is—that's not told or revealed or you know acknowledged, and and it gets to—it brings you back to the third episode, right? Is you know, the fourth was like, our stories aren't all being told. Is there room for all of our narratives? And then the third story is like, there isn't room for all of us. There's only this many spaces at Harvard, (laughs) right? It's painful Um, to laugh at that, but yeah. So, I mean, so, and and the debate at Stuyvesant in New York City, but then also the question, and I I saw a lot of finger snapping and head nodding, like who's getting into kindergarten, right? And so that whole- We have a number of educators in the house, so. Um, so, and it made me think of this question that came up um, when I was listening to a panel talking about reparations, right, and reparations can be so many different things. And someone said, asked the question, well, what are we willing to give up in order to make things right? What are we willing to give up in order to make things right? And, And the third episode you know, it it talks a little bit about that. You know, I have to tell you, as an Asian American, I'm very pained, like as soon as I saw that you were doing affirmative action, I was like, you know, just cringing um, at the conversation because it's such a tough discussion to have. But how did you decide to approach affirmative action? It's such a big issue and it could go wrong. (laughs) It could easily go so wrong.
2: Uh, well part of w- one of the things is to to say and and so i just want to i want to shout out gina sable is in the house here um and i also want to shout out the berkeley high students we got phoebe and, and, some, um, um, in the house. Okay. and mallory yeah and mallory where's Mallory? mallory hey mallory this has been our amazing amazing uh staff person part of our amazing team here um and so you know the 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 piece had to be done i felt like because in order for us to kind of get to this question of what to do now um we have to struggle with the issues that we're struggling with internally. Um, and so part of it was to be able to say, well, all y'all in the media are acting like this is all brand new, like Gina and I have been there, you know, going back uh, a qu- quarter century. We're pretty old. Um, but it's, it goes back a while. And uh, and to see a pro-affirmative action fight that was launched here in San Francisco uh, by the organization that VIN runs, right? Chinese for Affirmative Action um, and Lingxi Wang at UC Berkeley and all of us being students organizing around that kind of stuff. To be bastardized and changed into this anti-affirmative action, anti-black, anti-Latinx type of thing is really galling. I have a politics about it, but I also, at the same time, wanted to be real in terms of saying, like, we have to deal with this. And so we wanted to, to take on this complex issue Um, In a way that we're just not seeing happening in the media because the media won't tell our stories Um, And so yeah, so we wanted to surface this deep history and then get get at the complexity and show show people uh, Who have been in the streets the the media shows the anti affirmative action protests but it hasn't been showing the pro affirmative action uh, demonstrations that have been having all, uh, happening all across the country, and doesn't talk about the fact that two thirds of Asian Americans support affirmative action.
0: And um, you know, just so I can make sure that we include everyone. I mean, you're a writer, so you know, my questions really you know get geared towards you to talk about the politics. But it has to be shown. So how do you show that?
1: Show. Uh, that that chapter of the book was like, or I mean, when we were discussing how do we like present this chapter in, in like a visual form, I was like, I don't know. It's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really dense and it's like, it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of stuff to, to, to discuss in order to like fully, you know, uh, present. A, I mean, this is not a complete picture obviously, but we, um, what I wanted to do and when I read the chapter and also read what Jeff was thinking about for the series you know I think when you have all this data there's that's why we included like um, this like data visualizations and animations and trying to take all that dense those dense numbers and a lot of like historical facts and put it into something that can be digested uh, quickly um, and you know a lot of a lot of these episodes are people talking they're they're technically the talking heads but the way that we wanted to portray that is not so much just a straightforward interview but really a conversation that jeff was having the whole time with real people it's not like you don't a lot of times you hear interviews where you just hear that person speaking you don't hear the the interviewer and for us it's not you know jeff's response is just as important as the person being um interviewed um, and that helped to kind of create uh, the pacing and rhythm so it didn't get too boring and get too uh, academic in a way. I don't want to use that term in a negative way or that's why I'm like.
0: Okay. So we have, we have about five, seven minutes. I'm gonna save my last question for last on the first episode, because that was actually my favorite, I thought. It was just powerful and being from the bay area you know i think that conversation is the one that i'm also most you know in touch with um we're going to go out to the audience and try to take two questions and and i'm just going to have one person respond to each one if that's okay just so we can keep things moving so um i'm going to start with um the young woman in the pink
1: So I guess I'll answer that quickly. Um, I Jeff's book uh, if if people have read the book, the cover is this really uh, evocative photo of David Davis's photo, hands up in black and white, and um, in keeping with the spirit of the book, of not just the writing but also obviously there was aesthetic that Jeff wanted um, when he when he wrote the book. I wanted to I knew from day one that I wanted to do this in black and white. And Jeff was cool with it and you know for the most part we didn't have any real pushback and uh, Another thing that I found important is when you hear the term resegregation You know segregation is obviously the main part of that word and when you think about segregation at least for me you think about the images of the 1960s and the civil rights movement and how that was very vivid black and white and if you can tell like The stuff that we shot personally was black and white, but then the archival and and, the stock footage was all in color. And that was a conscious decision to kind of have that what is past, what is present, what is present, what is past in a way. Um, So, yeah. I'll just add on real quick. Um, One of
2: the interesting things about, the so of course the All Right video is in black and white as well, right? Colin Tilly from Berkeley, um, his video for Kendrick Lamar's in black and white. And so that, plus Damon Davis's print from Ferguson. Um, and Damon, like, illustrating the polarization that's at work, so speaking about the the present moment as hearkening back, you know? Uh, and that the past in between um, is rendered in color. As if to say, we had, we had these bright colors, like with UC. Berkeley, right? We had these bright colors. We got rid of affirmative action. Now it's a much more, stark, starkly segregated um, type of campus. So this concept of resegregation also being represented in black and white as well. Okay, we're
0: going to take one more question uh, over there.
2: eight minutes Um, and and (laughs) sorry Pam Um, it's a really complex issue and um, and you know we could go into a whole thing about um, you know the issue one of the issues that we came up on was uh, during the 80s was uh, affirmative action for Filipino uh, Filipino um, American um, applicants Right? And, of course, now the, the question of disaggregation mm-hmm. um, is key, is that it actually undergirds the politics of the anti-affirmative action activists, right? They're anti disaggregation, right? Um, and, and so the, the question of disaggregation um, came up, and I think it's something that uh, we could definitely uh, capture in, in the second season. Yeah, if we get one.
0: <laughs> I'll get to that, too. Thank you. Um, and, and you know, that's such, there's so many layers to that. And even, you know, Harvard's now struggling with their African-American numbers because they're realizing that so many of their, what they consider black African-American are African immigrants, too. And so there's so many layers to, um, to the story of diversity. Um, did Amber Alert go off again? Yeah. So this is um, to the to the second to last question because I also want to talk about what we can do to support the series because it's amazing. Did do folks agree? We want to see a second season. The line that I was most struck by in all four episodes is um you're not a part of the future. Um So in the Bay Area, where where we all are, we know how expensive it's gotten. We have the fastest growing income gap between the rich and the poor in the country. And this has been going long before Trump became president. Um, Wealth is concentrating in the hands of a few. Companies can now make five times what they used to in the 80s with a third of the employees, right? And so you just see the wealth accumulation and the income gap and homelessness increasing, right? And we often forget that homelessness hasn't always been here, right? Not as the crisis that it exists today. It started in the 80s, right? And, and I'll just do a brief history lesson, just because I think it's so important for folks to understand the context. There was a time that government used to be in the business of building housing. And between 1940 and 1980, um, we, you know, HUD's budget rivaled the Department of Defense. We used to build housing for poor, working class, middle class families in America, and it was when we decided to make government smaller, when we didn't trust government, when we cut taxes. You know, one of the one of the victims was HUD, and and actually we cut HUD's budget by by two thirds, and not just Reagan and Bush, but Clinton too. Democrats and Republicans cut that budget, and homelessness suddenly emerges as a crisis in cities across the country when we stop making housing affordable for everyone, right. So, you know, government now with because we don't have money to build housing, we've largely become wealth managers in determining who gets to work here and who gets to live here. You get to build a hotel. You get to build housing. You get to build it ten feet to hundred feet. You know, it, it's kind of a wealth management program. And government has this kind of existing crisis, which is we're trying to raise as much revenue as possible by raising value of land, bringing in jobs, bringing in people with high wealth. And we're supposed to look out for the best interests of our constituents. Those are competing interests, right? They don't go together. I'm trying to bring as much money into the city to fund our schools, and how do you do that, right? So, you know, I, I mean, you, you were so powerful. I, and, and so, you know, I was just so struck by that line. If you could talk a little bit more about that and then the process for, for you all and being part of telling that story.
4: Um I think that 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 line came from when we were talking about how they uh put four seasons over the over the once downtown East Palo Alto and um I mean I think that that all of those decisions that you're talking about how they cut the the housing funds and the, how cities and governments used to build houses and now that for us and now they don't stuff like that they were all decisions and uh making it so that the wealthy could come in and do what they're doing now it's all it's all based on like financial gain like if people are coming in and they want they want to make money they're not thinking about the people that don't have it right Mm -hmm. so i think that um really it just it just came from experiencing that and understanding like even me right now like i moved to berkeley Mm -hmm. right i live in berkeley because that's where i can afford to to live and have a small studio for myself and my my girlfriend, you feel me? And now it's like, that's what we're doing. We're not living in East Palo Alto. I can't afford to be there. There's no housing for me. There's no affordable apartment or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? So that, those are, I don't feel like I'm a part of the future in East Palo Alto. Even though I did so much work that they're building buildings off of the work that I've done. And I, I can't even live there anymore, you know what I'm saying? So I, that's really just, that's just what it came from. I think that youth and other people can get creative. And just like we were saying back in the day, we used to build housing. Why don't we come up with these creative ways more again? I, I saw that somewhere, I think, I forgot what city it was in, but some youth came to a city meeting and had a real conversation with the city council and was like, yo, we have an affordable housing project problem. Why don't y'all stop trying to figure it out and buy some houses? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the city owns the houses, then we can put people that are from the city here. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's we don't have to come up with creative ways. We just need to f- do it. You know what I'm saying? It's clear. In you know
0: the 1970s, we had, more, we had more units in our public housing than people on the wait list. We used to have more units in public housing than people on the wait list. So that that leads me to the the next question is, you know, having spent this time working on this series, so are are we gonna be all right? (laughs) Anyone can answer this, by the way. I say it too, anyone can answer this. (laughs) Okay, we gotta wrap up, so this is the last question. And then also tell us how we can support you
3: so I'm on waiting list to get my citizenship so I've been in the country about over 25 years I came here when I was in my 20s and I hesitated and also it was very difficult to go through the process every time I applied for the green card there was a delay there's no explanation why but cut to, I do have a green card now so I'm on waiting list to get a citizenship and I get email updates once in a month we're still reviewing the updates for you but then again, I get this mixed feelings right now. Do I belong here? Do I want to be a citizen here? Like those, I don't have an answer for this question 100%. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm just sharing my feelings. That's a little bit of frustration, a little bit of a scared feeling like I'm going to be OK. And I think um, when you wrote this book, the title came before the gentleman in the White House is in. <laughs> so I do think that the title itself makes me wonder and I like to get the conversation going so I think that that's the best part of the your book in the title. As Jane put it in, like, are we gonna be okay? The answer could be, so for some people yes, some people say no way, some people may say maybe and I'm trying to make it to be positive answer but that's, I feel like it's something that we're still processing for me. Just because
0: of the sake of time,
2: I'm gonna let the question hang <laughs> a little okay. bit. Well, I, 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 oh. I, well I, I can say this, I, the, you know, the closing montage, which is in color, right, um, has both images. It starts off obviously with the, with the March on Washington in 1963, and then it, it moves through images of the Women's March, uh, the Standing Rock water, water Protectors. Um, it moves through obviously the Black Lives Matter um, uh, movement and demonstrations, but it also leaves us looking at the, the, the wall, the border, um, and it also leaves us looking at um, uh, an image of, of a flag that's burnt. Um, I took that picture um, in Ferguson, Missouri, on Canfield mm-hmm. Drive, right at the spot where Michael Brown uh, was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the folks in the community there had left that burned flag there. And so, you know, I think that this is part of what we're we're looking at. This is the moment that we're in right now. And so even just for like four brief episodes of a web series, you know, we wanted to be able to kind of leave a statement about, you know, if we're not figuring this out um, individually, collectively, together, we have these choices that we can face.
0: And you know, I'll just say, you know, all these things that we're talking about have been a part of our country long before Trump became president. And I'm just as fearful of Trump not being our next president as him being our president. Because if he's not our president, do people, you know, sit back, right? It's Homelessness was during the Obama years. Michael Brown was shot and killed in the Obama years. I, you know, not to say this is Obama, by the way. I'm just saying that... Regardless of who's in the White House, you know, as I, Isaiah said, our life as we know here, it here in this country has been what it has been. And so um, I'm fearful of Trump winning another four years, but I'm also fearful of him not winning and a Democrat coming in and everyone thinking that we're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. So, how do we support this series? Because nice these pivot, stories Jane. are so nice important. Pivot. I mean, it, it's, it allows us to have this conversation and it's pushing us, right, to, to talk about all of these issues. Um, how do we make sure that, that, that we see more of this?
2: We will be, should I do it? So, <laughs> the, the, the series goes live across the universe on Tuesday. Uh, it'll be on Indie Lens Storycast, the YouTube page there. And the Facebook page for Indieland Storycast. It'll also be on my website, be all right.net. Um What we want to ask is, we know that you saw it tonight. If you liked it, please watch it again. Uh, tell a friend. Tell a thousand friends. Have them tell a thousand friends. Um, and and just you know, spread the word about the uh, work that we're doing. Please to spread the work about Indieland Storycast. Indieland Storycast has provided a platform for, I'm this is my first time to this, um, and it's provided a platform for amazing, really, really important stories to be told. There's an amazing Dreamers series there. Uh, there's an amazing Tacos of Texas series there. There's a whole wide range of amazing stories that, that we don't necessarily get to see uh, in the media. So we've got to be able to support our independent um, folks. Uh, so, Indieland Storycast, YouTube and Facebook, um, and BeAllright.net, uh and hopefully we'll be able to be back here uh, next year with more stuff for you. Thank you. Jeff, Kimmy, Bao, Isaiah, please
0: give them another round
4: of applause. Thank you. for being Cam.
2: Thank you all for coming. Don't forget your audience ballots, and we have a whole nother week of Cam. So please check out our other programs, thank you.